This Season 3 finale is brought to you by Main Street Windows, a complete guide to Disney's whimsical tributes by yours truly, Jeff Heimbuck. Available now at OrchardHillPress.com for signed copies and also wherever books are sold, such as Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and more. Welcome to Season 3! Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff, and it's the Season 3 finale, George. Can you believe it? Not at all. We've been doing this for a very long time now. Yep, and we had a, or do we have a cliffhanger for this one? Let me go through the script. I can't remember. Uh, you can scroll down to the bottom, but spoiler oh, alert. Oh, crap. We do we, have a... Ooh. Wait, we do? What? We have a cliffhanger? You didn't look at the end of the script yet? No. Oh, uh, okay. Well, then we'll just continue. This is the season three finale, meaning season four is coming up, and... Prepare yourselves. Season four <laughs> is coming. <laughs> just like winter. Just like winter. Just like winter. Not the winter but soldier. It's been a really good year for, for us here at Communicore Weekly. And uh, season four is going to be an even better year. And we have a lot of stuff that's coming up, a lot of new stuff to talk about. We uh-huh. also have a pretty big change that we're going to talk about at the end of the show uh, after yeah. the five-legged goat. So so be sure you stick around. Uh, I mean, you don't have to listen to our crazy banter before the, the exit of the show. I understand that. But listen for the yeah. change stuff. That, that stuff's yeah. important. You know, I, I think the exciting thing, you know, we said you know, 2014 was a good year for Communicore Weekly. Yes. 2015 is going to be a fantastic year for the cadets. Yes. Yes. We don't care about us. We care about you guys, clearly. Ooh, we should have t-shirts that we say should. that. We care about you. That's all it's going to say. But let's not talk about season four yet <laughs> because we got to end season three. Yes. So let's jump into the history segment. It's the of the 64 World's Fair and the 49th anniversary of the 1965 fart! <laughs> so last week on episode 155, we had the first half of the interview that we did with Ryan Ritchie, who was the director of After the Fair, the amazing documentary about what happened to some of the pavilions after the 1964-65 New York World's Fair. This week, we continue with the second half to wrap up our World's Fair segment for season three. <laughs> well, every every time I run across an image that I see online, or and you know you had a big segment on in the film about the lamps or the lighted posts from the World's Fair, uh, the actual name of them is blanking right now. Um, they were Lumi- supposed to Lumi- luminaries. That's it. Luminaries. That's it. They were they were supposed to help direct people and from what i understand it that just didn't work it was too hard of a signal um do you have any of those and can i have one <laughs> <laughs> well i know where there are several of them communicore weekly field trip oh yeah <laughs> so you know, that to me that's one of the more interesting relics something that you could actually have at right. your house right, you know right. um well, 
and and what was weird about this doing this movie? I mean, the fair was fifty years ago, and I thought this is sort of timeless at this point. Things aren't going to change that we need to go back and revisit parts of the movie. But the lights were one of those things where, because many of them are on parcels of land that are either uh, up for uh, either up for sale or have tax liens against them, that I had to keep checking now and then and say, okay, are they still there? Are those lights oh. still there? Are they gone. <laughs> Just to be sure. Just to be sure. So, uh, and then of course the, um, the we didn't cover this in the movie, but the HMS Bounty, which was a ship on display uh, at the fair, was it was originally from Mutiny on the Bounty, the, the movie long before the fair occurred. That uh, sunk, that sank rather, um, as Superstorm Sandy approached, I believe it was. So, oh, yes, that's right. And wow. and that. We, we were in talks when it got to Massachusetts on its next docking was when we were supposed to shoot some footage of the boat Ooh. and never got there. And I started to think that maybe this project was doomed because that was about the same time as the ski lodge fire. Oh. So, and it, we went to, uh, it may have been the restaurant, the revolving restaurant, and we showed up and, and they were like, well, weren't you at the place before it burned down? Like, they, they were a little nervous. <laughs> There's only one logical explanation for all of that. <laughs> Michael Eisner. Fire? Oh, yes. Michael Eisner was following you around. That's exactly Of course. Uh, so, you know, if it wasn't clear before to people, but if they walk away from the movie thinking, you know, Epcot Center is totally the 1964, 1965 World's Fair, why do you think that Disney themselves kind of adopted that into the Epcot Center design when they were initially making it? Well, I really think when... Walt Disney died, and they sort of had to take his sprawling vision for Epcot, which would have been incredible incredible to see, and sort of boil that down to what became Epcot Center. I think it was really easy to look to the fair, and there was a lot of uh, design shorthand there. And I know it was uh, it was important because sponsors understood the model from the World's Fair. Now, granted, there had been sponsors at Disneyland, but they were able to go back to people like GM and say, hey, you, you remember when we used to do those World's Fairs and how you had that great big pavilion? Let's do that at Epcot. So I, I think it really helped them accelerate uh, the development of Epcot Center when that became, when that became the, the plan moving forward versus the original Epcot vision. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Never thought of that. Sort of like just a... a, a, a wow, let me start that one all over again. Let, let me move <laughs> on to another question at this point in time. So... Um, it's it's one that Jeff had written down, but I'm gonna go ahead and steal it. Why do you think they didn't move all of the Magic Skyway back to Disneyland? I think at some point uh, it may have been as simple as a um, footprint issue. I mean, that was a large attraction, and I don't think I would put that in Adventureland. Uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, Fantasyland. If if you're just if you're just selling the Ford vehicles, I, I'm not sure where it would have would have fit in best. Um, they've got this. They've got this little park across the way now that they're <laughs> beautifully, and finally give you something to do. I'm talking about Animal Kingdom. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> but there there are little things that I've noticed in talking to some of the Imagineers that, that we interviewed. I, I couldn't really get them to fess up to all the sort of nods to to the World's Fair, but one to think about the next time you're at Epcot. Um, When you're on Spaceship Earth, which of course was originally sponsored by Bell, Mm -hmm. uh, 
Spaceship Earth has that kind of unique design where you have the speakers up near your ears. It's a little bit closer to your head than, say, the Omnimover speakers. Um, that That is very similar to the Bell Telephone Pavilion at the fair that had these little adjustable cups that came up near your ears on each side. And so I, I think there might be some little design nods here and ah. there. Too. And you, have, you have an Im- example of that in the film as well. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that and I was like, wow, that's kind of really weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did somebody clean these before I put them on my head? Please? <laughs> Please? I'm not going to do this thing. Thank you very much. Oh, and, wow. and the other fun thing about that, that uh, pavilion, we were speaking about Horizons earlier, uh, with the Bell Telephone Pavilion, at least partially, you, your chair sort of moves sideways. So it was similar to how, you know, mm. in Horizons, you move sideways through, through all these scenes. That makes a lot of sense yeah, in hindsight. Wow. So, you know, in the course of making this film, I'm sure you researched tons and tons of things that didn't make it into the film itself. Were, were there any ones that really stood out uh, where things wound up that, you know, just, you cut for one reason or another? Well, there were some... Uh, where to begin? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there were some sculptures that ended up at different, different universities. Uh, one that was interesting, there is a house in New Jersey that... I believe it's for sale, but it hasn't. Hopefully, it won't get torn down. Basically, the folks who owned the house—they were—they um, were contractors who were responsible for demolition of different things, and at the fair. And so, the house basically was made up of components of different things from the fair. So, you would have a, a spiral staircase that may have come from, say, the Japan Pavilion, for example. Hmm. Uh, and so you have all these little things in, in one place like that. Uh, we had things like the totem poles from the Alaska Pavilion, our outside of museum in Connecticut. And um, we, went to, uh, we went to La Ronde up in, uh, in Montreal, which is unfortunately now a Six Flags park. Uh, <laughs> not to offend any. It's, also, it's always <laughs> unfortunate when something's a Six Flags park. We understand. <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, is on the site of the 67 World's Fair. But um, there's a carousel there that had originally been at, at the fair. And it's just a, a bunch of little things that we were thinking, you know, we don't want this to become a, a listy thing where we say, hey, this was in the fair, now it's there. So we tried to stick to, <laughs> to some of the bigger, bigger items. Did Which, you, by uh, the way, one of my favorites oh. that I didn't mention earlier is the Wisconsin Pavilion. Yeah. Um, which half of it is back in Wisconsin, where it's a radio station and cheese shop. Which is amazing, shop. by the way. Yes. <laughs> and the other half is a kids' camp in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So, and we have we basically virtually brought them back together again. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of branch off of what you just said about including these big things in the film, and you didn't want it just to be a list of things. I don't know how you did it, but you you made this fantastic narrative out of the entire thing. Like, you made it a story. It wasn't just a list of things that, you know, here's where this is now, here's where this is now. There was a story behind everything, and it just really brought the film together really, mm-hmm. really nicely, and I was super-duper impressed with how you did that. Um, mostly, I'm trying to say I hate you because that was brilliant, and there was no <laughs> way I would have been able to do that myself. I'm just writing this down for the cover. <laughs> super, super duper, I believe was. The I name. was super duper, yes. Okay. Yeah. 
All right, yeah, got it. Probably, I would I would hyphenate super duper. <laughs> but a, a plus would buy again. Though. Yes, A plus plus, great seller, <laughs> would buy from again. Um, so I, talk a, you know talk a little briefly about the journey of the making of the film. Why was it important to you really to get this stuff out there to to make people know you know where this stuff is now? Well, here's where here's where the journey started. My first interview for the movie was with Rolly Crump. And Who? so <laughs> I, I've never heard that name before in my life. Who? <laughs> and so we go and this gentleman Crump, I don't know, he, he something with a museum of the weird or something, but we uh, sounds boring. <laughs> we go and we talk to him, which he's just he's so gracious with his time and has wonderful stories to tell about about the fair. I don't need to tell tell you guys. He's, he's <laughs> filled with stories. Uh, what do you which mean? Might, which would make a great book. <laughs> Or audiobook <laughs> that I find to be super duper, but I don't want to find <laughs> other products. Uh, so that was our first interview, and I'm sitting there. I'm sitting in Rolly's house, and we're doing this interview, and I'm just like, I can't, I can't believe it. If we don't shoot another day of film for this thing, and it never sees the day, the light of day, I'm good. This is good. Uh, <laughs> That's the whole movie right there. And so we're wrapping up with him. And he says, well, you know, there's someone else you really should talk to uh, while you're out here. I said, okay. He said, well, Bob. Hey, uh, Marie, can you get Bob's number? I'm like, oh, okay, Bob. I'll go talk to Bob. And, of course, it turned out to be Bob Gurr, and, uh, <laughs> who, who you may know. Uh, you've heard of that name, too. Eh, maybe. I'm not, it doesn't ring a bell right now, though. And so each time we would talk to somebody, they would, they would send us to someone else. And it just became this, this journey of... One person leads to three more people. It's a nice snowball effect. Exactly. And did Marty call because he was jealous and wanted to be in the movie too? <laughs> did he want any changes? Yes. Did he? Did he say we've got? I've got some notes for you. Especially Just in, in that Carousel of Progress section. Yeah, we need more Marty. Much more Marty. Um. I am thrilled for Marty Sloan participating in this project. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No, it was it was really a, a good segment with it. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and one, I'm sorry. I just no. Quick, go ahead. Go ahead. Said about journey. It reminded me. Um, one of the things that my wife and I got to do, and this is a this is a wedding a, a marriage test. If you ever want to do this, it was, we had a three week road trip uh, in the car every single day to visit all of these places in the Midwest where different uh, different things from the fair were today so we actually went up along the edges of all of the great lakes in the car wow. it's like 12 hours a day in the car hop out shoot some footage or something get back in the car and and go for another 12 hours and remember to take the lens cap off <laughs> so i guess the next question is how did you two not kill each other or did you buy her a big diamond or i don't know i don't know what women like obviously but anyway i was amazed uh, wow. <laughs> we made it through, and it was uh, it was probably maybe the most peaceful three weeks. When we got back, I kind of wish we'd get back in the car. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Who knew? So that's my well, advice. yes, um, marital advice <laughs> from Mister Richet. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, so looking at looking at the the litany of hmm, attractions and objects, all the different uh, things that came out of the World's Fair, did you have? A white whale, something that you heard existed but you could never find, or something that you just you couldn't confirm in any of your searches. That's a that's a great question. 
I would say the biggest white whale, the biggest Loch Ness monster out there, <laughs> it's the AMF monorail and the monorail cars. Oh, yeah. Uh, the cars went to Hitchcock, Texas, where they were stored in a former uh, blimp storage facility. There was a, a businessman who intended to sell them to the uh, Houston International Airport that was being built mm-hmm. at the time. That deal fell through, and nobody knows what happened to the cars now. About 10 years ago, a photo surfaced, or oh, it's longer than 10 years ago, a photo surfaced of one of these cars uh, in someone's, someone's yard where they had made it into this play thing for their kids. That How one, dare they? I know. That one is gone. Uh, and speaking to the family of that businessman, they said that they thought a few of them had been around Houston um, and they were made into like taco stands. But I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get that confirmed. But there still could be a pile wow. of monorail cars somewhere outside of Houston. Quickly, I, to the Google Maps. Yeah, I was like, you know, it's, was... it's funny you should say that. I, <laughs> I spent about four hours one day taking my virtual road trip. Just clicking next, next, next on Google Maps, going wow. around Hitchcock, Texas, looking for something in, in somebody's backyard or whatever I could see from the road. You know? I can see that. Was, was the businessman's name Tex Richmond? <laughs> <laughs> Very obscure Muppets reference for... We'll take you know, it. Fair we'll enough. go from there. We'll go from there. I just assumed they had been converted into bowling alleys somewhere. Oh, boy. You know, that's just about Could all be I true. <laughs> So to uh, kind of wrap wrap this up and wind this down, um, what would you say to people to convince them to purchase your film? Aside from us telling them that they need to purchase their film, how, how would you? Oh, and tell me, telling people you got hungry trill that children doesn't work either. Yes, right. That technique, that ploy doesn't make a difference. We have to buy shoes. That doesn't make nobody cares. Nobody cares. But what would you use? What would you do? Because we might learn something. Here. You already took the, the good ones. <laughs> the top two. I'm sorry we took them all. Here's, here's what I would say. We, we really tried to make this a love letter to the fair. So for people who are out there and went to the fair, this is a chance to go back. Um, it, it's also kind of like, I hate to say Maury Povich because it's not a, it's not a pater- paternity test. But I was going to say. <laughs> it's sort of like. Uh, We've got the know. 1939 World's Fair here. <laughs> Exactly. And the Chicago Railroad Fair, and we're going to find out who's the daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Exactly. So, so the point would be that for a lot of people, it's almost like a first love. And so they're seeing mm-hmm. their first love again, and then we're like, hey, guess what? Your first love is still here. Let's, <laughs> let's bring her out. She might, be, <laughs> she might be Skype now instead of the Bell Picture phone, and she might be Google instead of the IBM search engine for this yeah. headline in news. But the fair still exists. So for people who went to the fair, I would I would encourage them to buy this movie to sort of rekindle that that feeling they had when they went to the fair. Uh, because one of the things is when you when you ask people if they went to the fair, they never hesitate. They remember. Even if they just went for one day, they say, oh yeah, I went to that fair. No one ever says, gee, I wonder if we went to that fair. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. For those of us who were, who were too young to have gone to the fair, I, I would say that what we tried to do with this movie is really... Uh, show you ways to impress friends and family and say, well, you know, that came from the World's Fair. And <laughs> so you can win bar bets with this movie. Is that, <laughs> that work? Is that better? I like that one. <laughs> I'm going to write I, I that one down I'd for later. I that on the cover, though. <laughs> no, no, I would. You would? Win okay, bar okay. arguments. Jeff Heimbach. <laughs> uh, By the so studio. Do, 
So for those of us who, who were too young to attend, to just get a chance to see what it was all about and really appreciate the things we have today that really spawned out of out of that fair and what happened. And some of the surprise stories, like uh, here's a teaser for everyone. There's a Jim Henson connection to the fair. For oh, example. yeah, that's true. Yes, there is. That's true. But you'll have that's to buy true. it to get that one. And speaking exactly. of buying it, Ryan, where can they find the film on the internets these days? Well, they can find it on finer websites like worldsfairmovie.com. Mm. <laughs> where it's available on DVD, uh, also as a digital download there and on Vimeo. So, yes. Just if I may make an extra plug, buy the DVD because uh, the bonus content on it is totally worth it as well. Because, I mean, I sat down and I watched the film. It was over and I was like, I'm not done with the fair yet. And then I watched all the bonus content uh, on the DVD as well. And it was great. It brought me back to the fair that I was never actually at. But it was great to actually experience it uh, as it was. So thanks for that. I really sure. appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. Um, so thank you for, for coming on the show and to help us wrap up our World's Fair stuff for the th- uh, third season of Comirical Weekly. We super duper appreciate it. And uh, uh, again, the movie's fantastic. Um, yes. Yes. You guys really need to see it. Ryan, you did an amazing job. I've told you that like a thousand times already, but it's really, really good. So thank you so much for coming on. George, any any parting thoughts from you? No, no, not all. I think it was fantastic. Uh, people that never experienced the fair, it's a beautiful way to actually feel like you were there experiencing part of it. Uh, without the heat, without the smells, without all the <laughs> weird people walking around you. Exactly. So. Exactly. Thank you again, Ryan, for coming on. Sure. Thank you, guys. We'll do it again in 50 years. He's a nerd. He's a geek. He's a geek. Because we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. Ah. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is The Unofficial Guide, The Color Companion to Walt Disney World by Bob Selinger and Len Testa. Okay, so this is one of the two... Uh, of the more well-known travel guides for Walt Disney World. Of course, there's always been the official guide from Burnbound, or you were the unofficial guide uh, user, sort of like Star Wars versus Star Trek, which I guess is sort of blurred now that J.J. Abrams is doing all of it. Yeah, I figured you were one or the other. Um, Up until, what, about 2010 or so, Disney was pretty strict about using photographs in their guidebooks and, of course, other books, for that matter, about Disney. And once they finally relinquished their hold, the unofficial guide jumped in with a guide full of color photographs, basically. Yeah, yeah. So the unofficial guide has always been a really good resource for people looking to get a look at vacationing tips at Walt Disney World. And the information included in them have always been great, and it's just been a fantastic resource. But now that they have the added bonus of these photographs, the unofficial color companion uh, is an even better product than before. Yeah, so they talk about in the first part of the book that the unofficial guides, each one of them, they all serve different audiences, which is why they have the flagship title, the one they've been publishing for over 30 years, the one with kids, the color companion, etc. And they, they were really talked about how each... Uh, books serve their respective audiences pretty well and that if they added photographs into one and added information about kids in the main one it would sort of muddle and weaken their really really strong product Um, so okay why would anyone choose the color companion itself over the other unofficial guidebooks 
Well, for starters, there is a lot of snark, and for you <laughs> listeners of Communicore Weekly, you know how much we love snark. We are yes, snark we machines. Um, and the book is, is just filled with a bunch of comedy bits and jokes, and is meant for a more laughter-prone audience who don't take things too seriously, I guess? Mm. Um, that said, some of the jokes are a little too over-the-top sometimes, um, and for, for people, I mean, this book is meant as a guidebook for people who really haven't been to Walt Disney World before. So if they don't really know the resorts and in and outs, they may be looking to book uh, at the Frozen Resort, not realizing that <laughs> there is no Frozen Resort. So they may book a vacation from Shady Tom's Vacation Deals, <laughs> show up at the Frozen Resort and realize no such thing exists. So be careful, guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was really surprised to see the humor throughout the book. Um... It is pretty broad, I guess, because they have to appeal to a larger audience. But Jeff makes a very good point. This book is really good for uh, newbies, so to speak, or people who haven't been there in a while. And that could be a little confusing to some people. Um, you know, uh, still, it, it, the Color Companion is really a, a really great resource for people who haven't been in a while or this might be their first trip. It's not as detailed as the unofficial guide, so it won't scare people away. But it still offers a tremendous amount of information. Uh, not all of it pixie dusted either, so you know we like that ourselves. Uh, I do like how the guidebook has broken down the resorts, uh, separate sections on hotels, uh, the theme parks, etc., with uh, smaller subsections devoted to each individual attraction, including um, you know there's photos, which is great. Um, but it'll, it, it gives you an appeal by age, tells you how long the average queue is going to be. And, you know, whether or not they really like it. Yeah, yeah. And even without being overly detailed, I mean, it is still pretty detailed, especially for a, a first-time visitor. You know, veteran Walt Disney World visitors probably won't get too much out of it except for the humor, but it's it's definitely a plus to have for first-timers. And, you know, you'll be able to figure out what is appropriate for you by going through this guide and, you know, plan out a great trip using their uh, tips. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the main reasons that you'd want to buy any of the unofficial guides is the fact that the editors do offer a solid opinion. If they think something is crap, they'll tell you, basically. But they'll also let you know when something is really good, really worth waiting in line. Uh, for first-time visitors in particular, avoiding an attraction that's rated as, you know, so-so or poor uh, can really save you a lot of time, effort, and money at Walt Disney World. You know, and, and beyond the attractions themselves, they also look at each and every place to eat. Um, each place to eat, basically, including the food carts. You know, because dining is such an important part of any vacation. You know, I think we have a 310 at the uh, Fantasyland food cart, so we better not miss that <laughs> reservation there. So, uh, overall, really great resource for people uh, for who are going for the first time or may not have been in, in a really long time and kind of need a, a refresher course uh, for it. Um, and again, veterans may not get uh, much out of it, it but it's not really not geared towards veterans of Walt Disney World. It, it's If you're planning a Walt Disney World vacation soon and you haven't been there in a while or you haven't been there, I would definitely recommend picking up uh, the unofficial guide colored uh, companion. Now, did we mention it's in color? Did we mention <laughs> that? Uh, this week's book is the unofficial guide the color companion to Walt Disney World. What we liked, what we didn't like, he's in the booze! 60-second review! So for this week's 60-second review, we're going to talk about the documentary After the Fair by Ryan Ritchie. Because Ryan's not here anymore, so now we can totally talk about it. 
<laughs> I was waiting for him to pop in. No, he didn't. Okay, okay I was waiting that pause too, just to be sure he wasn't going to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're but good. That was, that was, well, some time ago. Anyway, okay. So, you know, we've been covering a lot of the World's Fair here on Communicore Weekly during the third season. Yay! Yay! Um, because it's so awesome and so cool. Uh, one thing that we've run across even during our research is we're both just amazed at all the information that's actually out there itself. Um, I know one of the things that we both wish is that we could have experienced the fair to some extent, you know. Quick, to the swan boat time machine. Uh, You know, Bill Connor, Bill Young, who put out some amazing books on the subject. But it's just not quite the same as seeing it in real life or even in in moving video, moving picture images. Um, We did, we both received review copies of After the Fair, the legacy of the 1964-65 New York World's Fair. And I have to admit, we were both very excited. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you guys know, we've been talking about it all year now. We are obsessed with the fair and everything that it stood for. And just everything about it, it's just amazing to, to us. And we can't get enough of it. We read so many books on it. And we watched, you know, so many news re- newsreels that were made that are on YouTube now. But the one thing that we don't hear a lot about is ha- the stuff that happened after the fair. And I know we covered a bit of it in the interview with Ryan uh, this week and, and the week before, but this film, After the Fair, it really takes you on a journey to see how some of the parts of the fair lived on well after it, it closed its doors in 1965. Yeah, it, that's obviously it's one of the most intriguing and accessible projects that I've seen related to the World's Fair. Um, Ryan actually spent several years working on the film, and uh, he created a work that not only lets us see into the fair, but you know also where and how we can still enjoy parts of the fair today. Uh, he covers the entire country, basically, to track down information about some of these last remnants and how they are being used today or not being used, as the case may be. I'm talking about the luminaries that I still want one for I know you birthday. want one. Uh, so. If I can find one for the cheap, I'll totally get one for you oh, and okay. one for me. Oh, that'd be time. great. Get a twofer. Yes, heck yes, two for one luminaries. Um, ah. But yeah, I can't even, you know, fathom the amount of research and time that went into making this mm-hmm. project. I mean, Ryan like literally traveled the world to find these things, and he did an amazing job. And to me, it's just interesting to see how many of these things litter the country that are from the fair, and no one even knows. I mean, we we talked about it during the interview too, but the Skyway buckets from the fair at Six Flags Great Adventure, uh, you know, from my home theme park, I, my entire life I was riding them, and I didn't even realize it until about a year or two ago. But it was still cool to see <laughs> them featured in the movie. Like, hey, this is a piece of history that people are riding in New Jersey, <laughs> which doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. Okay, okay. So yeah, so so Ryan, he. he not only does he share the rides and, and, and an occasional statue, but he's tracked down entire buildings uh, from various pavilions. Uh, in some cases, most cases, aren't even being used as originally planned. The Wisconsin Pavilion, the New England Pavilion, the Spain Pavilion. Uh, the Imagination Pavilion? No, not that one. <laughs> Sorry. Though I'm not sure that's being used for much nowadays anyway. That's true. Bazing! Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just burned Disney. We should have done that. We're in trouble now. Okay, so um, back to the pavilions. Uh, <laughs> they're not being used today for, for what you might be thinking they're being used for. Anyway, that was almost a Princess Bride reference. It almost, almost was. Almost was. So so uh, Ryan uh, even tracks down a few rides that might surprise you. And, and to me, the most interesting tidbits outside of the Disney part, which, which was a fairly large part of the film, um, were the, the 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 Sinclair dinosaurs 
which were awesome to see them spread out across the country, and the gas pavilion. The gas pavilion was pretty darn cool. I'm, I was waiting so. for a joke there, but I guess not. We'll oh, just, come on. We're, come on. we're more highbrow than that. Mm. <laughs> I'm getting ready for season four. Oh, okay. That's, that's a fair point. So, yeah. I mean, we mentioned this in the interview, too, but, I mean, you may think the film was just a list that says, you know, this is where this is now, and this is where this is now, but it, it's not. I mean, Ryan manages to make an amazing narrative out of the topic, and it really makes you care about these things and where they wind up. And I have no idea how he did it, but that's the work of a really well-crafted film and a really talented filmmaker. And, you know, when talking about One Pavilion that met an unfortunate end late in the film, I mean, it even made me pretty upset. I mean, that shows how powerful the film and, you know, the connection you make to these um, pavilions and these things at the fair, that, that's what it does to you when you're watching the film. Sure, it's a piece of history that we thought was there and it's gone. Um, I, I agree, Ryan really does an incredible job of telling the stories of what happened after the fair, not just making, and here's one big ball of twine, and here's this, but... There's some intrigue in there, which is really, really great. Um, not only does he uh, visit the icons of the fair, but he has interviewed some pretty famous people that worked on the fair or were influenced by it. Uh, Ryan interviewed our friends Bob Gurr, Marty Sklar, and Rolly Crump, all about the Disney pavilions, and they offered some tantalizing input as to what happened. Uh, in addition to the resident Disney celebrities, Ryan interviewed a few other people that are uh, sort of a, as obsessed with the fair as we are. Just I mean, a little. just kind of. I mean, some people may base an entire second film around a major <laughs> comic book franchise um, around a World's Fair-like thing. I mean, not to throw out names or anything, but I mean, John Favreau. I mean, he talked to, to, to John, and uh, apparently, I mean, that that's incredible. That's really cool how yeah. these you know people are obsessed with the fair like we are too. Um, but I mean, if you're into the fair. I think we we both clearly highly recommend this movie, it, and it's, you know, especially for us, it's a great way to wrap up the World's Fair segments to see how the fair lives on today in, in different aspects. It's a great snapshot into the past, and, it, and a great way to see how these parts of it still live on today. So yeah. um, you can find the film uh, at worldsfairmovie.com. You can order a DVD, which has a bunch of special features, um, or you can rent it on uh, Vimeo. And mm -hmm. I think you can download it there, too, and you can, like, stream it to whatever media device you have as well, which is pretty awesome. So Yeah, I watched it on the Roku, and it was in high definition and looked fantastic. Heck yes. So it was great. So, uh, yeah, worldsfairmovie.com. Definitely check it out. And uh, I think it's, like, a million Weekly thumbs up. At least. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. Even though it's no longer accessible to the public, the Court of Angels uh, in New Orleans Square at Disneyland is still a gorgeous place to visit. And if you're lucky enough to get a reservation at Club 33, you'll get to hang out there for a few minutes before going up into the restaurant. Now, when you're done admiring the staircase and taking your photos there, because that's what everybody does, be sure to check out the fountain that's on the right-hand side of the staircase, because hanging above it is a lantern, lighting that small little area there. But if you look really closely, you'll see something inside the lantern. And of course, it's everyone's favorite pixie, Tinkerbell. This, oh, good. of course, I thought you were going to say me. It's George. Like, George is in the lantern. A mini I was in George. The lantern? What? Anyway. That'd be weird. Yes, it would. I don't know why you're wearing that weird dress and that lantern, George. But that's okay. Hey, shows off my legs. That is a good point. But nobody yep. wants to see it. But. <laughs> 
of course, Tinkerbell and the lantern is a reference to the scene in the film uh, in, in Peter Pan when Hook captures Tink and puts her inside the lantern and they, he questions her. So it's a cool little nod right there. I like it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So um, before we get into some of the bigger news, we just want to remind everybody to email your name, postal address, and your birthday, at least the day in the month, to communicorweekly at gmail.com. Because we've got some big surprises coming up that we're very excited about. So some go ahead those, and email that information. Some of those surprises are going out uh, right now, essentially. Actually, mm-hmm. by the time this airs, some of you may have received said things. So, <sighs> mm, who knows? So excited. So excited. So, even though you know this is the end of Season 3 and we're going to talk about all the great stuff coming in Season 4, uh, in the Season 4 premiere, right now we need to talk about the change a, a big change to the show itself uh, uh how you receive the the show itself if you listen to us on itunes you're in the clear no worries bro you can continue listening on itunes and you'll be okay however um at, at, this is the last episode we will be posting on micechat.com and the MiceTube uh youtube uh video channel um you know we love my chat, we love Dusty. Uh, he's been a great guy, and he's always been a big supporter of the show, and we thank him for the years that he has supported us. Um, but starting in Season 4, we're going to be over on livefastdiepoor.com, um, hanging out with those dudes over there. And uh, we got some cool stuff in store for that. So when you're going to check out the Season 4 premiere, make sure you head over to livefastdiepoor.com. It'll be up there every Tuesday just like it is on Mice Chat for the last three years. So you just got to type in a new web address, and that's it. There's nothing to do, guys. It's not that big of a deal. Do yeah, so we're... No, no, I don't think it's a big deal. Okay. Not at all. Plus, they got some it cool depends. articles there, too, that uh, I write, and, you know, George's going to write some stuff there, too. So you're going to get more of us over there. Aren't you Wait excited? Minute, I'm going to write over there? Oh, I forgot to tell you that. When did that happen? That happened right now. <laughs> now? Yeah, right now. Yes, I know. We all that money that we spent on acting lessons is really paying off. Is it really paying I don't know. Is off? It? <laughs> Clearly, it's not because that was a terrible acting. That thing was there. almost a great Robin Burgundy. I am almost a great Robin Jeff Heimbuck actor. Actor. <laughs> You'll get Tobias in here too. <laughs> okay, before we get. Uh, off another set of rails because we've gotten off so many I don't even know where we are we want to thank you guys so much for watching and listening to the season 3 finale of Communicore Weekly yes please leave us a comment maybe give us a rating on iTunes let us know what you thought about season 3 what you want to see in season 4 we want to hear from you guys so please do that Yes, and email us all of your important information at communicorweekly at gmail.com because like we said we got some surprises. Yes, we do. And of course, you can always like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly because I'm always posting photos and cool stuff mm-hmm. over there. Yep. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, you can give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And get your copy of Communicore Weekly, the musical, today. Before it goes out of print? Maybe? Uh, Acting maybe? lessons still not working for uh, us. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, probably not. So, But you can uh, grab a copy on Amazon, CD Baby, or iTunes, or listen for free on Google Play and Spotify. Heck yes. Uh, and of course, visit the community store at CommunicoreWeekly.com and click on the store link for some awesome t-shirts. Yes, uh, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. 
Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next season on CommunoCore Weekly, the greatest online show. Luminaries.